let them talk. Like a lot of times we forget that they know the answer. And if you can just kind of coach them versus like telling them what to do, they will come up with like some really great ways to like go forward. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-Word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. I am delighted you are here for another week with another fascinating conversation. Today, my guest is Kathy Longo. Before we get into the conversation, if you have been enjoying the shows, the guests, and the conversations, I would like to ask if you can please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The reviews let us know you're enjoying the content and help bring wonderful guests like Kathy onto the show. So who is Kathy Luongo? She's a certified financial planner, practitioner, chartered advisor in philanthropy, and a certified divorce financial analyst. And she has over 30 years of financial management experience. Today on the show, Kathy and I discuss her transition when she started to align her values with her time and her actions and started her new firm. Well, not so new anymore from 2014. The firm is called Flourish Wealth Management. It's an independent boutique wealth management firm in Minneapolis, and Kathy's passionate about helping women and their family connect the emotional and technical side of money. And she's the author of the great book, Flourish Financially, Values, Transitions, and Big Conversations. This book was really insightful. I really enjoyed it as it encouraged a holistic and personalized approach to finances and help people understand their own money story so that they can plan through the big transitions in life. It's a great book and I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed this conversation with Kathy. You can hear that she oozes with curiosity and compassion. We talk about how we can connect the emotional and technical side of money, why a financial plan isn't always just about the money, and how we could start to bring awareness to our unconscious money stories. You will also see that the theme throughout the conversation is how we can really find the financial freedom that we long for by looking inside of ourselves and not to our spreadsheets to find the answer. I think you're going to find this conversation incredibly valuable and insightful. Enjoy this conversation with Kathy Longo. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on as well. You know, I was reading through your book, listening to some of your podcasts, and I thought there's so many different areas that we can start. I thought we would kind of go back in time and start from 2013, where I understand you had worked your way up as a partner for a large wealth management firm. And from the outside looking in, one may assume you've kind of created your dream position. Yet, I believe it was in 2013, 
you had an impactful experience working with a client named Jeff. Mm -hmm. Reflecting back on this moment in your career where you've worked all the way up and yet you have this meaningful experience with Jeff, can you explain the significance of this interaction with Jeff and what, what really was happening? Well, I was giving him advice that I should have given myself as I was helping him explore. Basically, he was coming to me not happy with what his current current role was. And he he was describing this other vision. I was helping him articulate and like making this big change for himself. And then as I was reflecting on this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not taking my own vice of like pursuing my passion and dreams and making it a possibility and like what's holding me back. And so I was giving myself my own planning and encouragement as I like reflected upon that conversation. But if being with clients and helping them through such critical decisions in life is so important and value added. And sometimes it, I found that for me, I don't know if it wasn't taking the time to reflect on that same piece of advice and way of thinking and being for myself. I think you speak for many of us in the financial planning area where I think we all catch ourselves at moments being like, wait, am I giving myself advice right now? Mm-hmm. And so you, you use the word reflect. And I think that's a really important word for all of us, including financial planners, is the, the art of reflection. So I, I want to stay on this 2013 moment in your story. What role, if anything at all, did reflection have that may have allowed you to lean into that discomfort that was inside of Kathy? So what I mean by that is, there was something there when you're talking to Jeff that you realize that, hey, I'm giving myself advice. How did you actually lean into that discomfort? Because I can imagine there's a lot of discomfort and the path of least resistance would be like, quiet, I'm not listening to you. Just keep working the successful job I created. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's actually, before you said that word, least of, path of least resistance, that's what was popping up in my mind in that I was, you know, Things were fine. I was at a very good firm. I had great clients too. And yet I had a different dream to create a firm that was really about how I wanted to create that experience for clients. But what it took is some time, time to really reflect and just kind of be with it and just not, not just think about it, just feel it too. I'm very big, and this is something I've had to learn over the years is like, just recognize where it's coming up for me and my body. And just because I'm, I can tend to go into do and think mode so quickly, but not necessarily just be with that piece. And so just kind of like even putting it on the table and I'm big into mind mapping, which is like kind of like thinking about this idea and branching it off into different areas to just fully explore where it might go. Part of it was like, who could I talk to to like help get just like the coaching that I needed. And so like opening up the conversation with other people so they could help me see things that I wasn't even, you know, what I didn't even know. And so there were some critical conversations there with, oh, I'm involved with this organization called Women Presidents Organization. So I said, can I be this case study for the month and kind of present what's kind of coming up for me? And after that, a group of the women, they're all other business owners, like, we need a powwow. We have to like talk this through. And so we had like an emergency happy hour, like within the week. And they're like, you can do it. You know, sometimes, you know, I found like I lost sight of like what was even possible. So that was really important talking into like other business owners. And one was like, okay, what do you really love about your job that you want to create in the future? And so I got like lots of advice to help 
help me during that time. And so I think that's even as I think about the role of the financial planner to coach and like help in that conversation through such a key transition, why it's so important to be in conversation. How do you think that's helped you now? Because I know you work a lot with people in transition, but where you said you were always like in doing mode and not kind of just the being mode. And I think so many of us, definitely myself, I can uh, relate to that. If I'm doing, then I don't have to reflect. I don't have to think. I don't have to think of, feel the uncomfortable things in myself. I'm distracting myself. But you embodied the work and did the work of making a big transition. How do you think, if anything at all, has this helped you talk to people who are in transition, almost to be able to see them from like, from the soul level being like, I get you. I'd say coaching, being like coached. So in a coaching relationship and a therapy relationship have really helped me. And I, that's something I had to really work on is like, okay, what am I feeling? Like put emotion to it. Cause that's also like money too. It comes with so many emotions. And in like so many aspects, like what is showing up with me? What am I feeling? And we're like, even we're in my body, like is it this tightness I'm feeling in my chest is like a pit in my stomach, exploring that because like, there's something there that we can pay attention to. And then you know, like that discomfort, that's okay. Like sometimes I think we feel, or, or like I would feel like, oh, I can't have discomfort, keep moving forward, you know, just you'll work through it. But I think if you like, for me, like letting myself process through it and even explore what that might be, I can like, be in that and then let it go. You know, I remember even thinking about like, what's the worst that could happen? And just having to like explore that and how that would feel. And then I can move forward because like I, I'd let that process through. But a lot of therapy work and a lot of being coached in, in like professional coaching relationships has has helped me. But it's the same thing. Like I, I want to grow as a person and having that growth mindset too, I think has really, really been important for me. Yeah, I I really appreciate you saying that, like that discomfort. Yeah, I for years I thought it was bad, but that's because I was afraid of doing the work. <laughs> and there's so much growth to use your word again within that discomfort. Yeah. So I know you do a lot of work around money and emotions and integrating them, and talk about people's money stories. You have a podcast on money stories and a blog I read back in 2013. Were you? aware of your money story at that time? Because, you know, we were largely unconscious of these money stories until we start doing the work. So maybe let's go back, whether it's 2013 or the process of you starting to bring the unconscious money story to your conscious mind. Can you bring us to that moment? And if you can recall, how did it, how did it come to fruition? Yes, there was always that money story and just general awareness of like influences on on my path, like with money and in relationships, but I, I really honestly don't think I did the work until I was creating Flourish Wealth Management, my firm, because that's what I wanted the firm to really be about, which was like connecting the emotional piece to the technical piece and having a dedicated process that we would go through with clients, um, how to have meaningful conversations, how to really think about transitions feel like I was naturally good at like being present and having like like some strong emotional intelligence with clients so I could kind of work there but I I feel like there can be more of a process and so some of the tools like we've incorporated are from an organization called Money Quotient which is really just more of a dedicated like understanding your money history how you've worked through transitions through that work I feel like I got more clarity of doing it myself the initial training for that program, you actually go through the the process with your own work and you have a partner in the program. And that's really where I felt I've got 
more clarity on like what my money story is and how that's influenced me. And I know money stories can be very personal. Was there anything that you could share with the audience that you learned about exploring your history? And yeah, a bit, I guess a bit about your historical money story. Yeah. And I write about this in my book, so you may have already seen this, but I remember like one experience where I went out and I was with a girlfriend and this girlfriend had like, she came from a much more affluent family. We were like shopping and guest jeans were expensive jeans at that time. I don't know what they cost now, but they were expensive at that time. And I'm like, she was like, oh no, you should definitely buy that. And I, I was always pretty independent and earning my money babysitting and, you know, having jobs from a young age. But I was looking at the price tag and like feeling the guilt. I'm like, okay, no, I'll just do it. And then I brought them home and my mom like looked at the price tag and she said, oh my gosh, those are so expensive. And I'm like, oh, I know I have to return those. So I returned them immediately. And it was just like that, like that guilt was coming up with me about this purchase. And so as I think about the way I approach decisions now, it's got to have like a value to me. And it's not that I won't buy like something like nice, but I really want to like make sure it's of value to me because that 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 wasn't at that time. And so that was one. And then another example was my grandfather who loved to talk about money. I think he was one of those early influences and in, I had like an IRA when I first earned money at like 15 years old. And he's like, I'll put in as much money as you put into this account and match. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that and he's showed me a compounding exercise. I'm like, wow. And so just the importance of saving and the financial independence and like making value-based decisions on spending, that's kind of stuck with me over the years. I, I'm just curious about the the gene situation. You talked about the, the guilt. Where do you think the guilt was coming from? Was it that you didn't value the genes or like what was underneath that guilt? I think at that time, I didn't understand like a value versus the item, but it was just like, oh my gosh, you can't do that. And my mom implying that that's like, we don't do that type of spending decisions. Like that's frivolous. Like, why would you spend that amount of money? And so I, I felt guilt. So whether it was, um, yeah, that, that's what was coming up for me. And that's why I returned them. I li- I liked the jeans, I think, but I would I think it might have also been influenced a little bit by the peer who was like probably had twenty guest jeans in her closet. But yeah, it was like recognizing that emotion, and then I'm like, okay, I can't can't deal with that, so I'll move on. Versus right. maybe exploring it a little more. But I was you know, young, so I didn't have this like wisdom. Mm-hmm. I you know now like I maybe like okay, let's just explore it. Was it coming up? Is it really founded? Because sometimes we have these emotions, like maybe a fear around money or some guilt. And and is it really founded? You know, like I probably, I well, I could afford, like I only had cash at that time and I had no other obligations, but like exploring, like, why is that? You know, am I letting others influence me? What's really at the heart of it? And so I think that's where it's important to connect the emotion and like n- nothing's bad. Like all emotions are just, they're just what they are. And sometimes too, I think there's this child you like look at it from your child perspective, but then you can put on more of your adult with wisdom perspective, which, you know, as I say, okay, well, no, I had a lot of babysitting money. I don't do this every day, like, but I didn't have any of those skills back then to help me process through. I mean, you weren't sitting there journaling and reflecting at this young. I know, but it, but it is like, it's about that emotion and recognizing yeah. where it was coming from. And I appreciate you saying that, that the emotions aren't bad. They're just they are what they are. When I was reading that in your book, I had to chuckle. When I was about 16 or 17, my brother had a pair of jeans in his room for like a few months. 
I think your equivalent store is called Marshalls in Canada. We call it Winners. I don't know. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, we have a Marshalls, yeah. Okay, and they have a great return policy. So I ended up taking the jeans back to Winners with my, my friend and convinced them to give me cash back. And in my reflection, as I got older, I realized that my money story really had me like holding on money tight fisted. And I thought I was so proud to do that. But I learned that no, no, I was just anyways, my my money story was a shy kid who just needed to hold on money. Money made me feel like I was powerful. So I laughed when I read that gene oh. story. <laughs> it, but that's where it, there's like these messages. If we spend some time reflecting back into our experiences like in all of this, I was at this conference recently and one of the mentors there was saying like money is a character like in every book or like, you know, every experience. And so like understanding the role it's playing and, you know, how it's showing up for us. I thought that was like true. It is so, you know what? So much so, I mean, this is about you and now I'm disclosing. I talk about too much about myself sometimes on the podcast, but I actually had to, I named my inner, I call my inner money critic. So it's like my inner child, Mr. Shy. Putting him as a character really has helped me like recognize even now when he comes up and I got to have a nice conversation and we're pretty peaceful now, but uh, he's still there. Yeah, yeah. That's that piece of like you've recognized it and you've named it and you can be like, it's going to come up first, but if you can like reason with it and be like, okay, mm-hmm. here's that's, here's how it's playing. Thank you for your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you later. So, you know, this work, can be confusing because there's so many different parts of us who have different needs when we start to explore money history. When you have clients that come to you, I don't know if they're coming to you because they know you're linking the emotions and money, but I feel like often the technical side is kind of the easy in for clients, but they kind of unconsciously maybe want the underbelly of the emotion side. How do you help facilitate clients to start to, I guess, embrace this confusing, disorganized journey of identifying our money story? Yes, most clients seem to, they've like checked us out online. They realize like we're not talking about like the technical aspects of like getting your investment contributions allocated. I mean, we those are all things you have to do, but they're seeing like the deeper conversations and the connectedness to values. So they tend to have openness. And I think they're seeking something like deeper. They, you know, they know they need to get their finances organized, but they want to create a more meaningful experience with money around their lives. And they want to, especially couples come together around their money and, you know, be on the same page. But that's about it. Then it's like we're then guiding them through this process, which we kind of think about like this path is, you know, there's technical work we have to do and things we have to review and get in place and make sure everybody's protected. And then it's the personal discovery right along with that. And so we start off with an exercise that in just in couples, because that creates a different dynamic if you've got two people to explore, which really gets to what their money story is. So that like their earliest experience with money, what they learned from their mother, what what they learned from their father, what they're concerned about, like they're greatest fears around it, like the first time they earned money and they completed their exercises separately and they come together at that meeting. And it's so fun because maybe they knew a little bit of the story, but then, you know, I help explore and we go deeper into it. And they're just like, it's just like so insightful for them about each other. And so you see this connectedness that's happening. And then we kind of build on that with a transitions exercise of like just understanding how they worked through transitions in the past, what what got them through that, what was stressful, 
you know, what's the biggest impact that they remember there? Like even yesterday, we had a transition exercise and one person spoke about just a transition that was so hard is when his parents separated and like how others were like in the community were like coming in and like putting their comments in there and just how he was felt so stressful because it was like something that he wanted to process more alone. And so that was like really good to thinking about transitions. And then we start to kind of build upon like we've explored history and now we got to think about like the more current day, which because that all kind of pulls in and we start to like look at life and we call it the wheel of life. So it's like aspects of like their satisfaction and in their health or their leisure, learning, inner growth, home, community, work and finances, and family too. And so like exploring like how that satisfaction is. And like we had a client recently who was like, they're struggling with their health and it's influencing every aspect from like their ability to work, which is also like their sense of purpose. And so that is like so essential to explore and then also figure out the connectedness of finances that might be needed in there. And then we start to use like a visualize your future, which kind of pulls it all together and like starts to set out goals that will help them, you know, build to the future they want to create together. So those are kind of our core components. We'll also do things like understanding like kind of values exercises and naming like specific values. There's different like decks of cards, like just have different value words that you can keep narrowing down. We use this one page exercise that people will start to narrow down. That's really fun. We'll do that at family meetings too, which will be like usually the grown children and everyone's kind of sharing their values and you see that interconnectedness. And yeah, so those are like some of the tools that we use to explore. find it so fascinating. I mean, I'm biased, but very meaningful work when we look at people's financial lives. I'm curious about your role in this. I don't want to paint every financial planner is taught to be more prescriptive where (laughs) we know what you need. Here's what kind of investment. How, if at all, has your role changed? Kind of to what you said earlier when you said you used to be doing, doing, doing. How has your role changed from a doer in these appointments versus just like being there and help facilitate them? Like even like going back to like, what am I feeling? Like, oh, you know, something's coming up for me, but this isn't like, this is not my bias. Like I explore their story and one thing I learned in coaching was like this concept of like their worldview. So like just this curiosity about what is happening for them? Where does this come from? With questions like um, just inquiry and just like also just being there, like let them talk. Like a lot of times we forget that they know the answer. And if you can just kind of coach them versus like telling them what to do, they will come up with like some really great ways to like go forward have that insight that really helps them like break through and like, oh, you know, I guess this is why I'm not like moving forward with, you know, really kind of cutting back on my spending or something. So just being and being uncomfortable with like, you know, some moments aren't always as comfortable as others and being that support that like helps them. But like, you know, people will leave and, you know, I think that maybe their prior experience, they'll say, I remember one client saying like, oh, I used to think coming to a financial planner was like going to the dentist, which they didn't like. And they're like, this is like so good. They feel like it's like therapy. And, you know, I'm not a therapist, but there's like a feeling that you can create where you have breakthroughs and that you really have new possibilities that they're they're now engaged. And then all the technical stuff just happens because they've connected the emotional to it. Yeah, I mean, 
in therapy, people feel heard and seen. And what I'm hearing you say is you just, you're listening to them and hearing them. So it, that's that similar feeling for the client. Being like, wait, you listen to me? Yeah. <laughs> that feels good. As you're saying this, I just think when I started in this industry, my Mr. Shy just ran the show and my appointments were like me creating this presentation to show how smart I am so that I impress the, the unconscious to me this is happening. I impress the clients and five minutes left, I'm like, do you have any questions? They'd leave and like, oh, that was a good appointment for me. But for them, they're probably like, that guy's crazy. That's another thing too. I, I've been just kind of this piece, like the planning work we do is, I think sometimes that's really more for us as a planner to do like our job, but like what we come to the meeting with and what we're with the client, that's a whole nother conversation. And so sometimes I feel like the profession can get lost in like, who's the plan for? Yes. Yeah. That's a really good observation. So you're talking about the wheel life and I, I really appreciate the wheel life. And so when you connect this with these values cards, can you maybe talk a bit like what are some of the questions on the cards? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I think this is all of our life's work is trying to bring our values, action, time and money into a little bit more congruency. And I think it's always it's this idea of a mountain without a top worm. We're always trying to get there, but we'd never get it perfect. But along that path, we find, you know, some peace along the way. So what do, maybe some examples of what kind of thought-provoking questions are on these cards? The cards are really more about like specific values one might have. Like oh, maybe it's I see. philanthropy or um, financial independence or, mm -hmm. you know, service to others or like learning. So like thinking about key specific word values mm -hmm. to help narrow down, you know, because usually like if you use a deck of cards or like a sheet of like value words, if you say, what are your values? People are like, <laughs> well, family, but it gives them a spot to start broad. And then you can just really, what you usually do, then you can just keep narrowing down to like five, five key, maybe five or seven like key values. And then you have this like lens to look at like all decisions in life. And you, when you do it with couples, you kind of see their intersection of like what's important. And sometimes people might use like the same, like use a different word, but like it really has that same meaning. It's just something that resonates to them. So you have to like talk through like, well, what does service mean to you? And just have a greater understanding. But I think that holding those core values, like it are, it's like just like your foundation of who you are and what's important and kind of going back to that as you make decisions. So now I see, yeah, the, the word card or the values on the cards. I assume you see quite the realizations when they do their real life. Say a value might be health, but it's like really far down on time spent. Maybe just touch on things you've observed when people start to do these real lives and they're like, whoa. Yeah, that their actions and their choices aren't aligned with their values. And and so you see like, you know, they they value their health. Like they say that's a value and yet they're not satisfied, either not satisfied with it or they're not doing any of like the things to really take care of themselves. And so you just start to like recognize the inconsistencies. They value maybe like having that financial independence and they're overspending and like, putting too much money on credit cards. And so like, how does that support the value that you say, say you want or you want to like be able to provide for your children in the future? So that's where you can, you know, even as a planner is to recognize and you're not in a like, oh, you're not doing like what you said, but like explore 
tell me more about this or, or you, and sometimes you have to put maybe push back a little bit like you know you, you say that your value health but you're not committed like what what would that look like and maybe then they're not doing you know like going to the gym or like taking care of their medical appointments and so like how, how would that need to change and so you do have to kind of push back sometimes but I think if you create that safe space with them and they know that they're you're only there to support them they can be open to that in the conversation and be like yeah that, that doesn't really support like I want to I want to like retire early and yet I'm doing nothing to like put myself in that position right now so is that really of value to me or is that is it really more important to like live for today? Yeah, you know, I, I can just hear by the tone of your voice and the way you're saying this. It's it, it, to me, it comes from a non-judgmental, va- rather an observational perspective. Where mm-hmm. you've said about curiosity of like trying to understand them, and if I do understand them, then I can ask yeah. these questions because you've created that safe place. Yeah, and you can like do it in a way like okay, you know, I'm not sure if I have this right, but you know, this is what I'm noticing. And then you give them a, a space to be like, no, that's not real. That's not how it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's ways that you you go about the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and so you mentioned like financial freedom. And this is a term in our industry we hear all the time. I don't know if there's one definition to it. It seems like we all have different interpretations or meanings that we've attached to it. A common one that has come around is like this financial freedom or financial independence is having enough money in your bank account so you can live off the interest and so forth. Based on your experience and your curiosity to dive into the, the emotional side of money, I don't know if this is a, a single answer, but do you think we can get this financial freedom without having the important and intimate conversations with ourselves and our spouses? No, not, not on a really meaningful level. Like, well... Okay. I think that some may be able to kind of go through life, you know, so sometimes what you don't know, you're like, well, I don't, you don't know it anyway. So you're just not missing anything. But like once you really have some exposure and when you like think about like maybe you're just not having that full freedom, it's because you haven't, this is my opinion, because the person hasn't done the work on the emotion side to discover, like to pull it all together. Because I really believe there's that technical and emotional side. And that is work that can really make us whole as as beings and can create that like that for me is more freedom. We use like financial independence a lot. And but yet I think that freedom is much deeper. And I see that's where the emotional would come into because you can have maybe just independence to do whatever you want to do. But I think the freedom is like the connection to the emotional and the technical. So I hadn't really thought about it that way until you asked that question about freedom. So maybe I'm going to start using freedom instead of (laughs) independence. During the the reason the freedom comes up is during this journey that I've had to explore my money story, I I just reflect and wrote so many words. And I approached a friend of mine who's a musician and we, we wrote a music album, a full length album on my money story. And one of the songs is around the freedom that's found within of doing this work. Now, you you know, I'm super curious though, because you, uh, back to your other firm, I listened to the Michael Kitsitz podcast uh, that you had, and you know, you're you're dealing with people who have saved enough money. (laughs) They've saved (laughs) enough money. The old firm didn't sound like you really went into the emotional side and you've already talked about that. That's why you created Flourish. What have you noticed? There's this always this saying, and this is a, this is a a non- Absolute answer, and we know that from the research, but fulfillment and money, the correlation between money, happiness, you want to call it well-being, flourishing, whatever the term you want to see. What have you noticed a difference, if anything at all, from 
the other firm or just people in general that you've seen who haven't really done the inner work versus what you're seeing now where people are doing the inner work, but then they also have the financial means to enjoy those values that they have clearly identified now? Well, I think that I, what I would say is that there's emotional work going on at the other firm, but not in a like a dedicated process. And that's been years. So maybe it's all like happening right. now. Um, and sorry, but, I don't mean to point out that firm. I'm just talking, no, uh, let's, let's no, just but say I think any that the firm. Just, well, I think the importance is creating, it's not necessarily a lot of work, but I think it's like firms need to have a process and training and ability to like do the emotional work, to be with clients in that sense. And so that's where I felt really impassioned about bringing in different tools. Because, you know, for me, I felt like I did have some innate ability to like, be in that conversation or to like go a little bit and, you know, definitely like different trainings and like I had done a coaching program and that just was the way I wanted to be. But I think firms have to like spend time in developing their team members on the emotional side that they they need like more, you know, work in the therapy side. That's a whole skill set to develop, to develop. So it's not just a technical path. It's a path of like this emotional, personal work that planners can do with their clients and that will create that financial freedom by that emotional and technical side coming together. So it's like I had to get it out of my head and so find like some really good tools that we can have a process with our clients to do that work. And so I can imagine that this process or this the way of being for your new firm, it's really embodied in yourself because you created it. I'm curious with the name, if we go into the name Flourish Wealth Management, I know the significance of names from a kid's perspective. I mean, we want to get it right. Usually when we name something, it's influence from some part of our lives. What significance to you does the name Flourish have? Why did you pick that? Oh, yeah, because when I started like thinking about a name for the firm, which is also like the firm, I'd say it's one of my babies. So I have three <laughs> children. So it's, it's my fourth baby. Oh, and my dog too. Five babies. But I was really thinking about the feeling that I wanted to create. And so that's where this idea of like creation and I, you know, I was thinking about like blooming and then I'm like flourishing and like, okay, that's it. And it just resonated with me and just, I fell in love with the name and, you know, just all things flourish. <laughs> so mm -hmm. my podcast is Flourish Financially and I wrote a book with the, the title. And so it, it's just such a feeling that, and I, whenever I see that word pop up in like little things, I'm like, yes, that's the feeling. So it, it's a feeling word. When I asked that, you leaned more towards the camera and your tone resonated. So I can see I know, it I get so eight excited. years later. Yeah. On the topic of flourish, maybe your book is your fourth child, but I could imagine diving into a book, creating a book is no easy task. What did you learn about Kathy or how, how if anything, did Kathy flourish after doing all the work that is involved in writing a book? When you reflect after the process, I, were there parts of you that started to flourish? A shift that I think came is this ability to put myself out there and be vulnerable. And so this also kind of relates to this program that I was involved with. I've been involved with it twice now, but it's a residency program for financial planners. And it's really helping find newer financial planners work on the psychology and be in like demo client meetings and explore a conversation with clients. and. I was the client at that time. And I realized like being on the other side of the table, there's this vulnerability. Like if you're going to let somebody into your life, you have to have this vulnerability. And same with the book. 
it felt like this, like, okay, if I'm, if I'm asking my clients and like others out there to be vulnerable with their story, I need to like open up on my own story, which was very scary, especially like more so even at the end when you're like, okay, editor, (laughs) publish it. And, um, but that, that's what I learned about is like through that vulnerability, like something new can be created. And I think like the the book was also like this pivot to like even open up the conversation because I can't work with everybody in the world to like open it up to others and create a podcast and talk about these, you know, concepts that I I think people are, you know, searching for. Yeah, that's wonderful. This idea of flourishing is, is, Make me think of our conversation before we start recording about your daughter, who is now joining the financial planning industry. Seeing your daughter join an industry that you're doing must make you feel like, hey, you know what? I role modeled something positive here. So I guess my question is, as you see your daughter flourish and start to bloom in this in, in her career, what meaning does it have to you, if anything at all, that she's choosing the profession that you've dedicated your passion to? Yeah, I actually like feel a little teary. Um, and thinking about that, sometimes I joke and I say like, oh, I created a financial planner. Like, that's a pretty cool thing for the profession. But I, I really feel, I am actually like choking up about this. Just so proud of her. And I, I know she has the skill set and I, you know, I was given her, she was talking about like some challenges she was having. And last night I called her back and I'm trying not to give her advice because, you know, I know to coach her and just wanted to give her some words of support. And I, and I was like, telling her like she's she has such good work ethic and she's like yeah mom I I learned all that from you and Uh, I thought oh it is you know the gift of like helping people with their with their finances and their money stories and like create new possibilities is like I I think about like all the appreciations that I get from clients and you know leaving different meetings and feel like wow that was amazing and that she'll be able to have all of those experiences too is pretty powerful no kidding. Oh, when you said that about the phone call, I learned that from you. I just, I don't care what my kids do. If I ever get a phone call like that, I will feel like I I did something well. Yeah. What a powerful call you had. Thank you. So we've, we've talked about, well, your daughter, your family. So I'm going to talk about the other side of the family. Your husband is in the business. We've already talked about this today. Understanding our own money stories is hard. Now, trying to understand our own money story and our spouse's money story is very hard. You've talked about how when couples come in, you get them to do the exercises separately. We know this is not the easiest thing in the world to have money conversations with our spouses. Can you share what you have learned by bringing your husband into your business, which is definitely around money and having conversations around money? So Jay's role is much more on the investment side, but I'd say like, he probably could be like a full financial planner because he, and he was one of the, one of my, like, I'd have him like edit my work and he's always like edited on um, blogs and things like that. Mm. So he's like learned a lot about the financial planning aspects. But when we, when I was doing the book, I, I had him do the exercises too, so that we could, and then have some conversations about like our money history together and just really kind of like work through that together. You know, I think it brings another concept is just the importance of learning really good communication skills. Well, especially like working together too. And then, you know, being married together, like we've definitely had to work on that. And therapy has been helpful. Is But but it's just so important is like communication and like, how do you have a conversation, you know, with, with another individual on things that, you know, are sensitive and you come from different backgrounds. And so I think like learning some of those skills or creating a safe space to do that. So for us, like we've done it in more of like a, a marriage therapy 
type mm-hmm. of environment, but that's also like a piece that with a financial planner where they give space for both people to mm. talk is really, really important. I feel like your answer needs to be applied to a lot of financial planners. And because I speak from experience where you think we've got to figure it out, we're like, no, to our spouse, we know we went to school for this. I'll tell you what's how to do this, but that that doesn't work. No. <laughs> as yeah. much as we think like, I'm doing this for the best of our family. Mm-hmm. No, we all want our voices to be heard. And uh, I learned yeah. that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all do. We like all it, do. Yeah. So, so many of these things were not taught in school, like how to have really good communication, create space mm-hmm. for others, like how to think about, like learn about money, how to learn, how to like the, like the therapy side, like the emotions mm-hmm. and feelings. There's just so much more that is missing in our upbringing for many, like in their education. And like as parents, we don't necessarily know how to like create this, these type of conversations too. Yeah. You know, I think in coupleships, like especially someone who has a dominant role in the financial management is a question we can ask ourselves is, do we want to be right or do we want to be fair in the sense mm-hmm. of having the other person's voice be heard? It might not be technically right, but it's very important to have both voices to have a fair weight. So. I agree. Let's imagine you're at end of life. I don't know how old that is. It doesn't matter, but you're at end of life and you're anywhere in the world that brings you peace and you're sitting on this front porch. Mm-hmm. So you could be looking at a meadows, a mountain, a lake, ocean, whatever brings you peace. And you decide to write a letter to your children's children about what you learned to have a, we'll call it a flourishing relationship with money. Mm-hmm. What would be a theme to that letter? Just to, so the theme would be to never stop learning, to like take the time to invest in yourself in a way that you, like you get the resources and the support to be your best self. And just the importance of relationships and connection to others and, you know, keeping that front and center with like that personal growth right alongside of that. So I think that's the, the piece of like how you know, I, I like I, if I'm thinking with my kids, like I want them to find what brings them true passion. And it's not like always immediate. We don't know that. So we have to do that deep discovery and be in relationships with others to explore what that will be and what we can create together. Thank you. Sounds like along those lines of the freedoms found within. Yeah. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today. For people listening, where would you point them? If they want to find more about you on the internet, your books, your your company. Well, I think like from a podcast, Flourish Financially podcast gives some great insight. And then also on our website, Flourish Wealth Management. That's like another great site for blog and ideas and just kind of like conversations that, you know, will help them along the way. All right. And then definitely your book. I enjoyed going through that. I will put links to all of those in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in this week. Before you go, if you could do me that favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, that would be great. Until next week, have yourself a good one. Take care. I'm on a mountain without a top. My wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I write a freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life, it's just the wind in the sea.